hey, Liverpool One Church, it is so great to see you today. We're actually in the third part, the third instalment of our current series simply called Ask Me Anything. If you've not been in church over the last few weeks, you can simply go online and go to liverpoolonechurch.com and click the watch icon and you can be able to catch up and bring yourself up to speed with everything that we've been talking about in this series because for us, we've just been discussing one of the most fundamental and one of the most important topics that every one of us at some point in our life has gotta give consideration to because we've been trying to work out like, is there a way that we individually and even collectively as a church can go about making better choices and better decisions? Because when you think about it, most of the heartache and the stress and the tears and the worry and the anxiety that we've all experienced in our life at some point has typically come off the back of making a wrong choice or a wrong decision. So we've been exploring this concept that's been pitched to us by the Apostle Paul from the book of Ephesians, where he just encourages us to not live like the unwise, but to live like the wise. So we've been saying, look, before you make a life choice, before you make a decision, before you make a key fundamental choice in your life, you've gotta ask you this question. What is the wise thing to do? But not just what's the wise thing, what's the wise thing for you to do in light of your past, in light of your current circumstances, and in light of your future hopes and dreams? What would be the wise thing for you to do? You know, I think that there's probably one thing that every single one of us have all got in common, and that's this. We've all got areas of our life that we've got regrets about. I mean, I'm just sure that if we were to kind of talk amongst ourselves for a moment, we could all share a sorry story about how we made a choice or we made a decision, and it just didn't work out the way that we'd have hoped. It just didn't go the way that we thought it was gonna go. It just didn't work out the way that we had expected. We've all got regrets. Now, I just think that it would probably be a good moment in the meeting right now. Why don't you just go ahead and turn to your neighbour and just tell them your worst ever mistake and what you regret most in your life. No, I'm joking. You don't, have to, you don't really have to do that. I don't think there'd be much conversation on that particular topic. But you know, when it comes to regret... When it comes to like looking back on your life and looking at some of the previous choices and the previous decisions that we've made, have you ever found yourself saying this statement, I should have known better? Have you ever found yourself when maybe you've made a choice, you've made a decision and then a few months go by or maybe even a few years, maybe even a decade and now the thing just hasn't worked out as you'd have expected and now you're living with this regret and now with the regret in mind, you just kind of look back on the choice and you're like, I just should have seen it coming because now in regret, it's just so obvious to you. I should have seen it coming so why didn't you see it coming? Why don't we see it coming? Because the chances are, if you didn't see it coming, I promise you that there's someone in your life that did see it coming. No matter what choice you've gotta make, no matter what decision you've gotta make a choice on, it could be a life choice, a career choice. Do you start the business? Do you change offices? It could be relational. Do I get with him? Do I get with her? Is she the one? Am I gonna marry her? It could be financial. Do I invest? Do I pull out? It could be about your home. Do we move? Do we stay? Chances are, 
when you look at some of the key decisions and choices that you've made in your life across the broad parameters, in the moments where you say, I should have seen it coming, chances are there was somebody in your world that did see it coming. And here's the thing, we're all the same. You know, in the way that we didn't see it coming and they did, Evan looked back and noticed that actually you just didn't want to listen to anything that maybe they've had to say. Like, you didn't take their advice because you didn't want to listen. And actually, sometimes what happens is the people in our life that did see it coming, well, you go to them later and you're like, well, if you knew this was going to end up like an absolute train wreck, why didn't you tell me? Their typical response is because we knew you weren't going to listen anyway, so, so we just didn't bother telling you. Now, you parents, if you're a mum or a dad, you're going to know exactly what this tension is like because this is something that we've all gone through. You're a mom or you're a dad and typically something's going on with one of your kids and then you're trying to figure the whole thing out and make the right choice and then one of you, in our house, it's typically my wife, will say to me like, yeah, you need to speak to him about that. And I'm like, me, I need to speak to him? Like, there's no point me speaking to him about that. If I speak to him, he's never gonna listen to me or anything that I've got to say. So it's probably best if you speak to him about that. And Emma goes, well, you know, like, he's a guy and I'm a girl. He's never gonna listen to me. So it would be better if you speak to him about that. And I'm like, well, he's not gonna listen to me. So then you kind of decide, well, okay, what we'll do is we'll, um, we'll tag team him. We'll like go together, we'll like cause, call a meeting, a family convention, a family intervention, we'll have it all formal. We'll, we'll, we'll both go to him regarding this issue. And then you kind of go, well, if we do that, he's gonna perceive it as being really aggressive and he's gonna kick back on that. He's gonna be upset by that. His heart's not gonna be open about that. So he's never gonna listen. So you parents, you do the same thing that we do. You end up doing absolutely nothing, even though you know they're about to cause an absolute train wreck based on the decision or the choice that they're in the process of making. And when you look back on some of your biggest regrets, there's always someone that did see it coming. Like there's always someone, maybe it was a parent and they, they tried to have the conversation. Maybe they tried to creep into your room just before you fell asleep. Or maybe it was your wife and she tentatively tried to approach you wearing cotton wool gloves because she knew that this was just gonna cause an absolute scene of carnage. Maybe it was a dad who perhaps almost aggressively brought it up at the dinner table. But chances are, you know, unless it's your mum, by the way, because mums just have this way of like, they know everything, don't they? I mean, they can see your life mapped out before even one single day of it has been lived out and walked out. They seem to just know everything. They can see your whole life coming. So if we often end up saying, well, I, I should have seen it coming, but we missed it. And there are many other people around us that can say, well, I could have seen it coming, but they choose not to share that with you. What do we do about this problem? I mean, when it comes to other people being able to see something bad coming in your life, have you noticed this? Have you ever noticed <laughs> how easy it is for me to see the trouble that's coming in your life and yet I completely miss it coming in my own. Have you ever noticed how easy it is for you to see the train wreck coming in your own family member's life or your own best friend's life, but you totally are blindsided by the decisions that you make. You can't see it coming in your own and we're all guilty of this. And that's why I want us to talk about this because I don't want us to continue living our life 
just living with a deep-rooted sense of regret over so many areas. Because often what we find ourselves doing is we end up getting out of the relationship when actually the wise thing to do would have been to stay in it and work it out and figure it out because it could have been awesome, but we choose to get out and then we simply live with regret. Or we break off a friendship which actually was just so valuable and so beneficial to you. And then we live with the regret and all the carnage and the hurt that comes with that. Or we end up struggling with our kids because maybe at different times, at different seasons in their life, you end up over-parenting them and then other times you end up under-parenting them and it just causes this sense of regret of, I just should have done that differently. I just should have handled that better. I just should have worked things out in a different way. Or maybe you're someone that's continually moving job, always thinking like, this job's gonna be the one and yet everybody else around you knows, no, no, don't do that job because if you take that job, it's gonna take you away from what you've said for years is your dream job. Don't do that, it'll end up far worse than it currently is, like don't take that. And I don't want us to continually be making choices and decisions that we end up regretting because I don't think that we have to live life that way. But the question really is this, like why does that keep happening? Why so often do we make bad choices? Like why do we often end up living with this sense of deep-rooted regret? I wanna make a statement because here is the reason why. When your emotions are high, your decision-making ability is low. When emotions are high, your ability to make smart and wise and good choices and decisions is incredibly low. And this is such a big problem because just think of all the decisions and all the choices, especially the big ones, especially the game-changing choices that we've all got to make, They are all emotionally driven, aren't they? I mean, when you're thinking about changing job or investing something financially, when you're thinking about maybe making a life choice about a life partner, a husband and a wife, I mean, emotions are so, so high. And when our emotions are high, our ability to make wise decisions is incredibly low because every big decision carries big emotions. And emotions are so annoying because emotions make the obvious less obvious. Even the smartest people on the planet get blindsided and end up making bad choices because your emotions will lie to you. They make the obvious less obvious. When you're emotional about a decision, everything in your decision-making process It kind of gets foggy, it gets clouded somewhat, it feels like you're living life under a rain cloud and you just can't negotiate your way out, you can't see which is the best way to turn. That's because when your emotions are high, your decision-making ability is incredibly low. And yet, for me, when you're making a decision, when you've got a choice to make, it's so easy for me to know what you should do. Like, honestly, It's so simple for me to make a decision about what would be easy and what would be good and what would be right for you because I don't have any emotions involved. You're highly emotional, so it means your decision-making process is low. So when someone else can see what you're going through and see what you're struggling with, it just seems so obvious to them. 
I mean, when you're trying to struggle and wrestle with, should I stay or should I go, to, to me, it's, like, it's, like, it's a no-brainer. I mean, honestly, this is so easy to figure out and work our way out. This is so simple. It's obvious to me that if you get with him, this is gonna end up in an absolute train wreck because of like your character and the context of his life, you two together. I mean, all of your friends can see it. All of your family know that, that if that happens relationally, this is gonna be bad for you. You're gonna get hurt. It's easy for me to see that in your life. It's easy, it's obvious to me that if you take that job, it's gonna take you away from your future hopes and dreams. It's easy for me, but when your emotions are high, your ability to make good, strong, effective decisions is low. You see, it's easy for me to know that when you're about to make an investment with your money, it's easy for me to know that that's like either a really wise decision or a really dumb decision because it's not my money, it's your money. But when it's your money, your emotions are high, so your decision-making ability is incredibly low. And all the time, you're surrounded by just fog and clouds as you walk through this rainstorm that just makes your decisions harder to make. Have you ever been to... Um, Toys R Us or Smiths. I mean, the people that run those places, they are like marketing geniuses. The way in which that they're so effectively able to just like get all of their product placement right. You know, the way in which like, they get all the two-year-old toys at the perfect height for all the two-year-olds. And the way that like all the PlayStation games are like at the perfect height for all the 12-year-olds. It's kind of like just genius the way that they work out the models of their stores. It's just so clever. And if you're a parent and you've ever been into Toys R Us you, or Smiths, you've probably experienced, you know, one of those moments where your kid kind of like walks in and like the very first aisle that you get to has got this wind up, arm flapping, jumping duck and they pick it up off the shelf that is just at their eye level and they come to you and they're like, but dad, I want this. And you're like, Son, listen, like you've never once spoke about wanting a wind up flapping jumping duck before in your life ever. And like now all of a sudden you want it and they're like, but dad, I really want, like I need this. And they pick it up off the shelf and now that thing is in their hands. And when it's in your hands, it's like you're getting all of this sense of like ownership and you're like, this is almost mine. I mean, dad, can I have this? And I'm thinking to myself like, well, this is like the stupidest purchase we could ever buy. It's probably gonna end up on the junk pile along with all the other toys that you never play with. And yet you're telling me right now that, that all you want is this jumping, flapping duck. And it's like, but I just need this. And you're like, you've never even mentioned the wind up jumping, flapping duck before ever in your life. But now apparently you can't even live unless you get this thing right now. It's because when it comes to like being wise and making choices about what we need and what we want, we get so emotive, especially when it's in your hands, like especially when you're owning it, almost, especially when you can feel it. And this is the biggest problem that we as parents face, yet as an adult, we know this is dumb. As an adult, you can go, no, no, seriously, son, like, honestly, you, you don't need this. Like, you're 19 now, you've grown past that. <laughs> oh, no, I'm kidding. It's like, look, son, you, you don't need that. It's like, you've got way more toys at home. We, we don't need that. That would be a really unwise decision 
for me to spend that amount of money on what is in essence something that will just be thrown on the toy pile in less than 24 hours time? Like, no way. And yet your kid, emotional about this whole thing, just wants to keep hold of it. It would be brilliant if we could stand up here and confidently say, hey, don't worry about it because you grow out of that. It's just a season, it's just a stage. But that's not true at all. We carry exactly the same mentality that we develop in our childhood straight through to our adult lives. Ever been through town and seen the handbag and all of a sudden it's like you need it. You want, your life would be perfect and made complete if you just had another one handbag to add with the 47 that you ram into the bottom of your wardrobe. Or you see the shoes, or in my case, the trainers online, and you're just like, I just need them. I'm like looking at Caleb's red Ultra Vapor Maxes this morning, and I'm already, I'm just going, I need them, I want them. And it's like, I just want to try them on. They'd look better on me anyway. You know, we're exactly the same in our adult life. It's like you just don't grow out of this stuff. We do it the same, don't we? When you see a car that you fall in love with, or even worse, what about the house? It's kind of like you see a house and you, within like two seconds flat, you can picture you and your entire family living there, even though you've not even got yours on the market yet. I'm like, hello. It's like, it's just so emotional on those kinds of choices. And that's why it's always gonna be easier for me to make a wise choice or a wise decision for you. It's always easier for me to know exactly what you should do with your money because it's not my money. So if I were holding your wallet containing your debit card or your credit card, it would be so easy for me to walk through town with you and just go, no, no, don't spend your money on that. That's crazy. You don't need that. You, like, you've already got that in another color anyway. You don't need that. Don't waste your money on that. Whereas when you go through town with your wallet and with your debit card, you're like, I need it. I want it. You know, I stand up here like trying to make out like that we've got this all together and so perfect in our own lives. Honestly, it's just not the case. Probably, and some of you might have heard me share this story before, but probably the dumbest decision I have ever made in my life was that about three or four months in to getting married, I said to Emma, I said, hey, listen, like, I, I want a new car. And she was like, okay, that's cool. Like, go and find a new car. And I was like, hey, listen, but I just don't want any ordinary car or any regular car. Like, I want a BMW, and I want a BMW that's got the sports leather bucket seats. I want all of the Triptronic stuff. I want all the stuff on the steering wheels. I just like, I really want a BMW. And I'm like, I need a BMW. And I was looking through the auto trader, and then we ended up going to a showroom. And at the time, the funny thing was, is like, in fact, it must have been more than three months because Emma was quite heavily pregnant at the time. And we went into the showroom in this BMW garage, and, and the very first BMW that we went over to look at was this like black two-seater thing. And Emma's going like, but I'm I'm pregnant. And I'm like, get in it, hon, you'll be fine. We'll just like, get in it. And she's going, but when we have the baby and I'm going to the sales guy, so how big is the boot in this thing? And she's like, no, we can't buy a two-seater car. So I was like, okay, that would be so foolish. That would be completely unwise. We'll take the five-door version. So we went and we got in this other car and we were like sitting there. Now I have heard stories about when you're doing the deal when you're closing the negotiations with a sales guy, you've got to play hardball. It's like you can't let him know your intentions straight away, even though it was completely my intention to walk out with the showroom with that car. So Emma was like, just play it cool. And I was like, don't talk to me about play it cool. Like, I know exactly how to play this. Like, I I've got this. 
And the guy's given us all these options about all of these add-ons and all of these extras. And he's given us all of these finance options. And I'm just like playing it cool, playing it cool. And he's like, so do you want the car? And I'm saying to him, thing is, dude, I'm probably going to sit on it for a couple of days. And uh, I tell you what, I'll give you a call. He goes, hey, fine. No, no problem. You can give me a call. And that's fine. He says, only thing is like a car like this. With all the extras, the leather sports bucket seats, the Triptronic, the steering wheel, with all the gadgets that you want. He said, this thing is going to go really, really quick. So I'm now trying to play it really cool, but my heart's going because, like, I want the car. But I don't want him to know that I want the car. So now I'm saying to him, well, well I'll tell you, yeah, I'll tell you, I'm going to take my wife for lunch. And I said, we'll talk about it over lunch. I said, I don't really know if it's what I want to do. And he's going, well, okay, great idea. He says, like, and then he said this to me, I totally understand it if you need to, like, convince your wife and I felt that was a direct challenge to my manhood it was almost like he was saying to me like you don't even possess the power to make the decision on your own like you need to talk this through with your wife ah isn't that lovely so I'm there like eyeballing him at that moment and I'm like I'm gonna eat sayers around the corner and I'll be back in 10 minutes so we walk off the forecourt and Emma's going to me like, I just don't know you know I don't we don't really need a BMW like we could get something well cheaper and we take like three or four steps off the forecourt. And she's going, I don't even think. I shout out to this sales guy. I think his name was Kev. We haven't even got to say it. I'm like, yo, Kev. And he's like, Mr. Bryant. I'm like, I'll take the BMW. And like literally from nowhere, he had like a sales sign behind his back. And he goes, sold. Stuck it on the windscreen of the car. And like literally so much for playing hardball. But that was me all over. It was like because I was emotionally connected to the car. But the problem is, is that was the dumbest financial choice I've ever made in my life. The truth was, I had no problem in paying for the car. I mean, the incredibly high car payment for years, that was no problem to me. It was everything else that was a problem to me. Like when your children are young and then you want a holiday and then they need stuff and they need shoes and uniform and you know, it's kind of like it made everything else tough. And yet I'm driving around in this cool looking BMW that I ended up hating, despising, because I just made a really foolish and dumb financial decision. Yet, if you were to look on my life in that moment, you would have easily have been able to have assessed my financial position, assessed our age, our stage, our season in life, and you all would have gone like, Luke, don't do it, that's dumb, that's foolish, that's crazy. Yet, for me, I just couldn't see it coming. You'd have seen it coming straight away because when emotions are high, your decision-making ability is low. You know what's crazy is we do this in our marriage. Could you just imagine if you were the fly on the wall in a counselor's room where there's like a husband and wife who are just going through some stuff. And by the way, can I just say this? If you are husband and wife and just going through stuff relationally, going to see a relational counselor is the best thing that you can ever do. Honestly, we have a way of thinking about that in the UK that is totally different to pretty much most of the world. There is so much value that you can actually get from simply being open and inviting someone else to speak into your life. But imagine if you were the fly on the wall in someone else's marriage counseling session. You'd like listen to her complaints and listen to how upset she is. And then you'd listen to his complaints and how angry he is. And you would just sit there, if you were the counselor or if you were the fly on the wall, you would be like, this is so easy. Like, dude, if you just stop that, everything will be fine. And you'd be like, hon, if you just did that, everything would be fine. 
You see, what's so obvious to you to see as a fly on the wall or a counselor in the room, when it's your marriage, you don't see it for years. Why? Because when emotions are high, your decision-making process is low. It's the same with parenting. Have you ever noticed how, how it's so easy to parent everybody else's kids? I mean, have you ever realized how come you know exactly what to do with your neighbor's kids? I mean, that would never happen with your kids. I mean, if they were my kids, I would be saying to him right now, I would have her and I would say, to, this is not acceptable and I would teach her values and moral. It's so easy, isn't it, to try and parent other people's children. That's what we find easy. And yet the moment that you become a mom or a dad, you become a parent, you like spend 18 years of your life living in this thick fog. And you're like, I have no idea what to do. So why is it so hard? Well, it's because parenting is emotional. Marriage is emotional. Financial decisions are emotional. So what is the wise thing to do when emotions are high? If you wanna make better decisions in life, if you wanna make better choices in life, if you wanna live life with fewer regrets, less heartache, less tears, less stress, you've gotta figure out what's the wise thing to do when your emotions are high. Now, the answer is one word. And when I tell you what the answer is, you're gonna be so infuriated because you're kind of like either gonna say, yes, yeah, sure, I know that, or you're gonna go, that's just so simple, that's never gonna work. But the answer to know what you should do, what's the wise thing that you should do when emotions are high, is listen. Listen. You have to invite other people in to speak into your world and listen. You know, I wanna to go to some scripture that's in the Old Testament in just a moment. I wanna to speak to you about a guy whose name is Solomon. Solomon, in essence, is the wisest man that has ever lived probably outside of Jesus. And he just had this innate way of being able to discern and see something that's coming in someone else's life. Solomon was the individual that was David's son and he ruled Israel in what was commonly referred to as the golden age. It was when their money was high, their military strength was immense. It was kind of like that they were just at the prime season of their life as a nation. And Solomon was the king and he was smart, not just regular smart. I mean, God had given him um, the divine ability to just, just have wisdom. You know, like in the same way that some people can play musical instruments, like pick them up. In fact, it, it was our son, he's 12 now, who was playing drums in church today. And he's always had this ability since he was like two years of age, maybe even one. In fact, he could play drums before he could even walk. It's like God has just given him this ability to play music at a really high level. It was a God-given thing. Well, in the same way that some people can just hear a song and then play it on a piano, well, God had given that same type of gift to Solomon, but in the form of wisdom. So much so that people would travel from everywhere to sit at Solomon's table and ask him some of life's most complex com uh, questions. In 1 Kings chapter four, it tells us that people from all nations all came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. They were sent by kings from around the world. In other words, the one thing that Solomon was known for and had a reputation for was being wise. He was able to figure out like, this is the best thing that you should do. 
So other kings of other nations would fill these carts with gold and they would send them on these long journeys where they would then have to queue and wait for weeks before they would even get to put their question to Solomon and eventually they'd have this one-on-one conversation and they would allow Solomon to speak into their lives. But the great news for us is that we no longer have to fill up carts with gold, neither do we have to wait in line for a turn to sit at the table of Solomon because Solomon, he was so incredibly smart. He decided to write down all of the wise things that he'd learned in the book of Ecclesiastes and in the book of Proverbs and we can go to them and learn all the stuff that Solomon had learned also. But what's fascinating about Solomon in the scriptures is that Solomon as the wisest man that had ever lived spoke more about getting counsel than any of the other ancient writers. We could say it like this. Solomon, the wisest man who needed counsel the least, encouraged us to seek it out the most because Solomon was incredibly smart, incredibly wise. Solomon was saying, look, when you're facing a choice, when you're facing a decision and you don't know what to do, and you're gonna end up maybe not being able to see it coming, Solomon knew that there would be other people in your life that would be able to see it coming. So he encouraged us, and we're gonna go and read as a snapshot a few of the Proverbs that he talks about to give us wisdom when we're making decisions along this premise of stopping and pressing pause when our emotions are high and simply choosing to listen. So let's go Proverbs 9, verse nine. This is the first thing he says this. He says, instruct the wise and they will grow wiser still. In other words, he was saying, look, just so you know, you never reach a ceiling where you're like super smart. Like if you think you're smart, the best thing that you can do is be open to other people's advice and instruction. And when you do that, you will be wiser still. Proverbs 1 verse five, he says this, let the wise listen. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. He was like, look, if you wanna be smart, if you wanna make right choices, if you wanna make good decisions, then open your world up to other people who love you and care for you. They'll help give you guidance. Proverbs 12 verse 15, he says this, the way of the fools seem right to them, but the wise listen to advice. I think that Solomon was talking about somebody here that we could all probably say that we would know somebody like that. You know, anybody that thinks that they're, they're great in their own eyes, anybody that thinks that the advice that they give them some, themselves is like the smartest thing, and he's like, no, no, we have a word for that. I mean, people that give themselves advice and then think they've made the wise choice, we have a phrase for that. And he's like, that's the foolish thing. It's like everybody knows that anybody that thinks they know everything, they probably know the least at all. But then we come to this final scripture that he says in Proverbs 19, verse 20, and he says this, listen to advice and accept discipline. And at the end, future hopes and dreams, at the end, in light of what you wanna do, in light of what you wanna achieve, in light of where you wanna go in life, at the end, you'll be counted among the wise. And yet, you know what's mad? When you look at the end of Solomon's life, the wisest man that's ever lived, the wisest man that needed counsel the least, but advice is all to get it the most. What's crazy about Solomon is at the end of his life, he made some really, really dumb decisions. 
He, he like ruined the financial economy of the entire nation. He undermined their entire military forces. I mean, he wrecked everything. And what's crazy is he had all of these prophets, they were called in the Old Testament, these people that would speak to men on behalf of God. He had a bunch of these prophets speaking into his life and he chose not to listen to them. And it sounds crazy, doesn't it, that the guy that encouraged us the most to listen to other people in the end chose not to. And the danger is, is that we could think that we would never be like that. But if Solomon, the wisest man, discarded the opinions and advice of others, I think that makes us all likely at some point to make the same mistake. And probably the main reason why we don't like to listen, the main reason why we don't like to have other people give us advice and tell us what they think that we should do, or other people tell us what they see coming in our life is because what we think is, well, this is my own business, it's my marriage. This is my own business, it's my company. This is my money, I've earned it. I I don't want anybody else to tell me what I should do. I don't want anybody else trying to control that. I think that Solomon experienced exactly the same thing. You know, sometimes we kind of end up kind of going, look, you know, I'm an adult now. Like, don't you try and tell me what to do. Like, I'm an adult. I am 17 years of age. It's like, I don't need anything from anyone. I know what to do. But if you look at Solomon's problem, the reason why he was able to discount all of these very wise men's advice and opinions, it would be rooted in one word. In fact, it's a disease. It's probably the biggest disease that we face, especially as we choose to follow Christ. It's pride. Solomon's problem was pride. And that's the reason, isn't it? Why when your marriage is on the rocks, it's easy to listen to someone else's advice who is really bad relationally or when their marriage is on the rocks. It's easy to have those conversations because your pride isn't challenged. You feel secure in who you are. Like you've got a bad marriage, they've got a bad marriage. You can talk about that all day. But the moment that someone's got a strong marriage wants to speak into your life when your marriage is in a bad place, you repel that and you reject that because it questions your own adequacy as a husband, as a wife, and you don't wanna know that. We do it with money all the time. When you're not great with money, you end up choosing only to listen to the people who are broke around you, not those who've been successful with money because when you're put in the context or, or, or the confined space of someone that's great at something that you're not, it's our pride that says, I don't want, I don't want you to speak into my life. I, I don't need you to tell me that. And yet, you know what I wish? Like, I wish someone had sat me down at 18 and I've learned so much even about money in the last sort of like, I don't know, maybe half a decade, like incredible amounts. But I wish that somebody had sat me down at 18 and just had a word in my ear and said, hey, listen, uh, you do know, don't you, that if you were to save 200 pounds a month and if you were to take that 200 pounds and just every single month from day one that you start working, and if you invest that in a unit trust, like with an ISA wrapper that's tax-free, in 40 years time, way before you even end up retiring, do you know that you would have in cash in the bank close to half a million pound? I mean, honestly, how much, how many of us would have done that at 18? It's like, are you for real? You can do that? And it's like, and that's a really low risk and easy way to do it. And yet at 18, we're like, don't tell me what to do with my money. It's like, I need a new pair of Air Max. That's way more important than considering all of my financial security in my future, right? But the reason why we don't do it is because of pride. And in Proverbs 13, verse 10 to 12, Solomon writes this. He says, where there is strife, 
where there's trouble, where there's heartache, where there's stress, where there's tension, where there's anxiety, in your marriage, in your finances, when you're parenting, in business, when there is strife, there is meaning it happens as a result of pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. You see, you've got to understand that God has made you and designed you to do life in community. He has made you and created you to do life with friends and with family. And that means at times that you invite them into your world, especially when you're making decisions and choices. You say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Do you think that's a wise move? I've got a number of guys that I I earnestly pursue to have them speak into my life. Different people for different reasons. I had a great conversation with a really good friend of mine just the other week. I was saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this in business. Do you think this is wise? This is a good move? And he said to me, hey, listen, it's a great idea. You should absolutely do it, but just don't do it the way that you were planning on doing it. Like you can't see it, but I can see it. If you did that, that would be bad. So what I've done now is not chosen to simply listen to his advice and then move on and do my own thing, but I've chosen to listen to his advice and adopt that in practice. And I'm so glad that I've adopted his advice because I know that God has made me and created me and fashioned me to live my life in community. We need each other. We need people, friends, family, life group, church, followers of Christ who are earnestly pursuing God, who are open and not prideful and willing to say, okay, I want you to speak into my world before the train wreck happens, before the business goes wrong, before the marriage fails, before that collapses. I wanna open my world up and have you speak into my life because God will use the voices of other people to guide you and guard you through the biggest decisions and the biggest choices that you have to make. So where there is strife, happens because of pride but wisdom what's the wise thing to do when emotions are high and your decision making ability is low wisdom would say it's found in those who take advice church let's stand to our feet we're going to pray